close your eyes and pull like a dog. <laughs> and a new Irish record for Phil Healy, 22.99. Christy Cooney hands over the Sam Maguire Cup to Graham Canty, Cork All-Ireland Champions for the seventh time ever. Hello and welcome to the 32nd episode of the Star Sport Podcast. My name is Jack McCarran of the Southern Star and I'm joined as always by Star Sport Editor, a very sad, a very sick Kieran McCarthy. On today's show we'll be having an in-depth chat with Skibbereen's Sinead Ennis who recently represented her adopted home of New Zealand at the grand final of the world triathlon series in Lausanne in Switzerland, where she finished inside the top 50. We'll also be previewing the start of the Rugby World Cup with Southern Star editor Con Downing as Ireland prepared to take on Scotland in their opening fixture this Sunday morning with kickoff set for 8.45am. And in a few minutes we're going to touch on the news that Keane O'Neill has been added to Ronan McCarthy's senior football coaching ticket ahead of next season but there's only one place to start today's show and that is with the huge West Cork derby between Town and Island Rovers in the Senior Football Championship quarter-final in Ross Carberry on Saturday afternoon and before we get your thoughts Kieran, I just want to give you an idea of what the betting are saying so I was mm-hmm. just clicked onto Paddy Power before we started and they have Island Rovers 4-5 to favourites Town are 11-8 to and the draw is 13-2 to Maybe you might just set the scene for us. And based on the betting, Island Rovers probably haven't been favourites in their games so far. Mm. But they're favourites now, so a different mindset they're going to need approaching this. It is. Uh, it's kind of interesting to see that Ireland are gone in as favourites. Um, everyone knows what to expect from Newcastle. Newcastle are a dual senior club um, at hurling and football. And you know what you get when you, when you, when you play Newcastle. They're a dogged, determined team. But they also have some very, very good footballers too. They're after a couple of, of good wins, even in, in the last round. Um, round three there, they beat Mallow 15 points to 14. And that was that, that was no mean feat um, to beat a very good Mallow team. So I'm actually kind of quite surprised that Newstone are going in as, as the underdogs. But that can shoot them down to the ground. Um, Ireland Rovers have had a super, super year so far. Go back to the start of the championship in round one. They shocked uh, Carberry Rangers that day. That was 2-9 to 1-9. Um, and that really set them up to them for the rest of the year. Super League in Division 3, they won 9 of their 10 games in, in the league, and they went on to beat Douglas in the Division 3 league final. So winning becomes a habit, and um, Ireland Rovers certainly have that habit this year. They've really got their house in order, to be fair to them. They're very organised. They've put in a kind of concerted effort since last year. Go back to last year's championship, Jack, and um, Ireland were involved in a relegation tussle with Ahada late in the year. They won that game, good performance, and they took the positivity off that into the winter. And um, they they just kept the momentum going. Like I said, they're they're winning games now this year that they probably would have lost in the last couple of years. In their last game against Fermoy, I think it was, yeah, that they won 110 to 1-9. That wasn't a good Island Rovers performance, but they still won. Maybe in years past, they, they could have lost that game, but um, it was they came out the, the right side of, of a one-point um, win. I suppose important to note there too, Ireland had a big break before that in terms of the championship. You were going probably four months back to the Carby Rangers game, so they're probably a little bit rusty. So um, good players on both sides. Um, I actually have an interview with Dan McOwen of Island Rovers in this week's uh, sports section and Dan has been around um, for, for well it seems he's been around for a long time and he's only 26 
actually when I asked him his age I said how old are you now he said 26 Joe it's one of those who are like Jesus I thought you'd be a bit older because he's a, he's a fellow who's been in the headlines since like he was a Cork minor going back to 2010 in the All-Ireland football final he was in that team with Brian Hurley and a couple of more um, good good players so we have an interview with Dan this week and it's just interesting that he talks about the kind of the change and shift in Ireland Rovers and um, just how there is a real effort this year and um, the kind of riding the crest of a wave and we also have an interview with Cora Keane from from Lucistown where Dennis Hurley spoke to him so we've both both bases covered so yeah huge game and like you get back to your earlier question Jack eventually it's a great opportunity for one of these two teams to get through to county semi-final the way the draw worked out is that the top side is loaded with the city teams you have you've the Bars and Nemo and you've Douglas and Bell and Colleague and then on the other side you've Ireland, Lucistown and Duhallow and Clan with the Duhallow Clan game taking place the weekend after this so there's a great opportunity there for either Ireland, Newcastle, to Hallow or Clan to get to um to get the county senior football final. Do Hallow have been there a few times in the past, but for the other three, Ireland, Newcastle, and Clan, it really has opened up. And considering then where Newcastle have come from, they obviously lost their first round tie against Clonakilty, who, as you mentioned, will play against Do Hallow next Saturday week. But Newstown obviously regrouped from there and they've gone on to beat Valley Rovers mm-hmm. 113 14 points in round two. Obviously, Island Rovers skipped round two because of their first round win mm-hmm. over Garbury Rangers. And then, as you mentioned, Newstown's one point victory over Mallow. I think it's clear to see what the difference has been for them. In the opening game against Clannacilty, they conceded two goals and that, that, that's what lost it for them. Since then, they haven't conceded any goals mm. so obviously they've maybe looked at their defence and how they could shore it up and they've done so and now they find themselves in a quarter final and I was speaking to someone from Island Rovers last night and he was actually in agreement with what I said it's in a way a shot to nothing for both sides mm-hmm. Island Rovers and Town. neither of them probably or even both of them would have probably taken your hand off if you'd offered them a quarter final bird at the start of the year and now they're facing into a quarter final where as the bench suggests it's fairly even mm-hmm. so a shot to nothing which means we could probably be in for a, a, a good game with both teams going yeah. for it and it's important to kind of point out too that the fact that both teams are into the quarterfinals this year that they're also into the premier senior grade next year kind of the championships are being rev- are being revamped so both Newstown and Island Rovers are, are already assured of their place in the I suppose the A grade the top tier next year so like we said like kind of it's probably bonus territory for, for both teams um, this season but once they're there now they want to go as far as they can like I said the draw has opened up on this side um, with Clan and Hollow awaiting the winners um, but I, what you notice about Newstown too they beat Valley Rovers by 113 to 14 points and Valleys are a tough team so that was a good result and then they came out a week or two later and they beat the Fermoy by a point Oh, sorry, they beat Newstown by a point, and again, sorry, Newstown beat Mallow by a point, and Mallow again are a very tough team. So Newstown are after coming through two very tough, te- tough games there, and it will be tight this weekend, Jack. You can be sure of that kind of yeah, because just as uh, just while we're talking about the, the scores so far, Iden Rovers have only conceded one nine in both of their championship mm-hmm. games, so it's not like they're going to be letting a big score rack up against them either. So yeah, a tight game. 
the Rosanna. If, and if, if, if I had to plump, kind of, like, I, Ireland do have good scoring forwards there. Um, I suppose Sean O'Donovan was very good against Fermoy. They've, uh, they've Stephen Leonard to come off the bench. They've Kevin O'Sullivan, the veteran who's chomping at the base, um, came on in the last game too. You've done, you've done McCone. So they have a kind of a good array of scoring forwards. So that might tip the kind of balance for them. But again, like I've said through this, against Newstown, you get nothing easy. Absolutely nothing easy. And maybe I'm sitting on the fence, but it wouldn't surprise me if Newstown won. It's it's actually that tight, which is it's it's great for the neutrals. It'd be a great game to go and see because you've two good West Cork teams there. So um, and it's very much a fifty-fifty game. Yeah, well, um, the more we talk about it, the more that thirteen to two to draw on Paddy Power is starting to appeal to me. That's of good course, answer. there are other bookies out there. Um, Paddy Power did not sponsor us, but they're the only ones who have the game priced up so far. So uh, maybe later in the week. Other bookmakers will have it priced up. Well, as we mentioned, that game between Island Rovers and Newtown throws in this Saturday at 5pm in Ross Carberry, and I expect there will be a huge crowd at that. We'll have full build-up in this week's Southern Star and across our social media channels and website all this weekend. Now, the other big GAA story of the week, which just broke this afternoon, so we don't have full details just yet, but... Former Kildare senior football boss Keane O'Neill is set to join Ronan McCarthy's team ahead of next season. O'Neill is head of the Department of Sports, Leisure and Childhood Studies at CIT. So he obviously has a core connection. But Kieran, was this a complete bolt from the blue or had you been hearing rumours in the last few days? Um, I, I, I hadn't seen this coming, Jack. And I think it's a great a, a great move for Cork football. Um like Keane O'Neill has been involved with the Killeer senior footballers the last four years. They got to the Super 8s last year. Um, do you remember that famous Newbridge or Nowhere game yeah. where they beat Mayo? Kind of, they, I definitely, think, they definitely came on a lot under him, yeah. didn't they? I think they won two promotions in the League 2 under O'Neill. So um, he really has experience of that. Go back further. He was with Kerry 2014 as a coach there when they won the All-Ireland. And he was the physical trainer with the Tipperary hurling team when they won the All-Ireland back in 2010. So... He's a fellow who's been around for a bit and he definitely has the experience. So Cork are, are kind of, they're bringing in a man who knows what he's doing. Um, he'll take the place of Eddie Kerwin of Nemo Rangers who stepped away as a selector last month. So um, it's a top class replacement. And do you know what it kind of shows that Cork mean business too? They kind of really do kind of, um, when you're bringing a fella of the, I suppose the stature and the skill set of Keane O'Neill, um, it's, it's very encouraging. Cork will want to build on what they showed in the championship this year. And they've now brought in a top class kind of a top class manager who's been around some really successful camps over the years. So um, no, it's re- really positive step. Kind of, I think if you're a Cork footballer here and that, you know, kind of you'd be looking forward to getting back training because um, just to see what what ideas Keane O'Neill can can bring to the bring to the table. And if you think about it too, um, looking at the bigger picture, Cork did cause both Kerry and Dublin problems when they played them in the championship this year. And Cork would have watched on to see Kerry and Dublin slug it out in the All-Ireland for the last couple of weeks. And Cork is still a, they're a bit off, well, they are a good bit off that standard yet, especially the Dover standard. But they've closed the gap a bit this year. So they'll, they look to, to build on that kind of and close the gap even further next year. So getting something like Keane O'Neill involved is a definite, it's another step in, in, in the right direction. Okay, well, just to play devil's advocate then for, for a second uh, before we move on. I often wonder... Do you ever think there's an issue when you do bring in a high-profile second-in-command to a coaching ticket just for the simple fact that if it goes wrong in the league, 
again like it did last year and Cork mm-hmm. were relegated there's always that element of let the second in command take full control mm-hmm. and when you have someone as high profile as Keane O'Neill who is is well thought of around the country is there a danger of that or am I just being pessimistic for the sake of being pessimistic I think you're being pessimistic. I think it's it's just in you, Jack. I think you know, but uh, no, I can I can totally see what you mean. I do, you know, kind of. Um, uh, I I just think, but I still think it's just a good move. You're bringing in so much experience there, fellow with a wealth of knowledge. He's worked in so many different setups. You can imagine the kind of the knowledge he's garnered from working under Fitzmar, Eamon Fitzmaurice, and he was with Kerry going back to his tip days, and even with Kildare the last couple of years, and he'd have come up against the Tyrones and the Dublins and the Mayos and stuff, so he's a, he's a huge amount of knowledge that he can kind of throw into the mix, and, and where this Cork team is right now, um, and this Cork team wants to close the gap, I think having someone like him on board, and um, if he adds an, a, a, another couple of percent next year, it's all about those marginal gains, and and especially for Cork, um, it's an important year for Cork football next year. They're in, they're in Division Three, the league, and they really need to, they really need to get out of there. There's, there can be no excuses. Cork need to win promotion from Division Three, the league. If they don't, it's I don't know I, I don't know what to say, but they have to. Okay, they well, really have to. So, well, I just hope that when Cork win the All Ireland Senior Football <laughs> Championship next year, that Rowan McCarthy still gets some of the credit because oftentimes when a new coach comes in and everything goes well the new coach gets all the credit so when Cork win the All-Ireland next year mm-hmm. Keane O'Neill will deserve some credit but uh, Ronan McCarthy has uh, has done his bit and it's worth mentioning too as well as Keane O'Neill um, joining the setup, Cork G also announced that Kevin Smith is joining the Cork football backroom team as a strength and conditioning coach he's the former head of the strength and conditioning at Stade Francais Rugby Club and he's currently competing, completing a PhD at CIT. So again, not, seems like another good fella to have on board. And they're, they really do seem to be strengthening the backroom team there. Um, so kind of, like I said, the, the Cork footballers must be looking forward to the winter and getting stuck in um, because it's been a good football championship, you know, overall. Even though the result didn't go Kerry's way last um, last last Saturday evening, kind of, it was it was still a decent football championship and. Kind of, I'm already looking forward to next year. Yeah, so am I, and I can't wait to see Cork lift to Sam Maguire in Crow Park Very positive. next August. Now, we'll leave the football chat there for now, but coming up after break, coming up after the break even, we have a great chat with international triathlete Sinead Ennis from Skibbereen. Thank you for listening to the Star Sports Podcast. Don't forget to pick up this week's Southern Star featuring our award-winning sports section. That is everything a sports fan in West Cork could want. Available every Thursday in shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world. The Southern Star, number one for sport in West Cork. So we're delighted to be joined by Sinead Innes, the Skibbereen woman who represented New Zealand at the World Sprint Triathlon Championships in Lausanne in Switzerland recently. Welcome, Sinead, and welcome back home to Skibbereen. Thanks very much. Um, let's get back to the, to, the, to the very start of this story before we look at the World Championships themselves. You headed out to New Zealand six or seven years ago, and you were planning to stay there for a couple of months, and you're still there now. Yeah, um, yeah so 2013, I decided uh, to leave Manchester, where I was working, and um, head over to New Zealand. 
So initially I was like, oh sure, I'll stay there for about three months and then head on to Australia. Um, but after a few weeks, I'd say, in New Zealand, I decided I was going to stay on there. So um, yeah, I got a, I'm a physio. I got a job over there and started playing Gaelic football. I think I was at training about two days after I landed, so <laughs> got straight into it. And um, yeah, been there ever since. Because people talk about New Zealand and it is very much like Ireland, kind of. You made a great comparison. It's like Ireland except with volcanoes. <laughs> yeah. But it is even like the scenery, the people and stuff. There's a lot of similarities between the two countries. Yeah, definitely. I think like the from a cultural point of view, like family is a massive part of, um, you know, the culture in New Zealand and music and that mm-hmm. sort of thing as well. So I think that's there's a lot of similarities um, with Ireland there. Um, and there's a lot of, you know, really strong community cultures mm-hmm. and sport is huge, yeah. obviously, as well. Um more obviously rugby than the Gaelic over there but um, it's all kind of um, there's a big focus on that as well and a lot of the social stuff revolves around the sports and things as well over there so you got stuck into the sports scene straight away like you said two days in there you were kind of the, the local GA club there the triathlons then let's let's go to that you you did start back here in Skip Force was it down in, in, in Chugumna that was your first that was my first yeah taster um, mm. yeah I did the trag triathlon I think that was in 2011 and I had a clue what I was doing um, mm. I just thought it would be a bit of fun to give it a go and I think I did it with my brother-in-law and sure loads of local people you were kind yeah. of bumping into along the course but I borrowed a bike and I borrowed a wetsuit and I didn't have any of the gear like I'd say I just had my pair of runners like. um, but yeah it was good crack and um, it was I think the following year then I did it one in England mm-hmm. and yeah then there was the year after that I moved to New Zealand so started kind of getting into them a little bit more over there because they're just so available like because like you said it's such an outdoor country like and there's yeah. so many different activities so was it almost it, they're more accessible over there are they oh yeah. yeah I mean there's just so many of them like so I'm based in Auckland and um, there'd be like at least one every month during the oh, summer yeah. months and they're yeah literally kind of on the doorstep mm. like so um, it's easy enough to get involved and I had friends and stuff that were getting into them then as well so it was kind of another social aspect too and it was a sprint triathlon that, that, that you kind of you you uh, you honed in on explain to us a small bit about what a sprint triathlon is and what the dis- different disciplines are and distances involved yeah so it can vary so some events it'll be sprint they'll do slightly shorter or slightly longer but um kind of generally speaking it's a 750 meter swim mm-hmm. um a 20 kilometer cycle and then a 5k run yeah um, and you obviously have your transitions then in between mm-hmm. the swim and the bike and then the bike yeah. and the run so um, yeah no two events are the same though mm-hmm. you know the courses vary so much and the distances can vary slightly and the amount of hills or <laughs> um, all of that can have a big impact on how you go and when did you realize that you were getting quite good at uh, triathlons? Uh, well, I kind of just, uh, I suppose, started doing them more frequently. Mm-hmm. And because um, initially it was very much just for the fun element and doing them with friends and all that. I wasn't being competitive about it, which is unlike me. <laughs> <laughs> I think in all my other sporting, I've definitely been very competitive. Um but yeah I think I probably started doing a few more in about two or three years ago mm-hmm. and then um, about 18 months ago I had an ACL reconstruction so I ruptured my cruciate skiing um, oh. in New Zealand and oh. then had the surgery done and prior to the rehab there like I wasn't able to run for six months mm-hmm. after the surgery so, so I was able to swim and I was able to get on the bike and I decided and I had to be in the gym as well doing a lot of strength work so I decided that was a good chance to try and get a bit more serious and give the tries a bit more of a crack because I couldn't mm. play football or basketball or anything at that stage so and how important was that for your rehab the fact like you said you, you, you did your cruise shit um, <coughs> 18 months ago and it gave you something to focus towards was, was that important for you oh definitely yeah like I'm definitely a kind of a goals based 
person. So, um, yeah, like I think within a few weeks of the surgery, I was mapping out what, what I wanted to be trying to do sort of um, in the six or nine months after. So um, I decided to uh, put a half Ironman on the on the goals list. As you so, do. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that was eight months after the mm-hmm. surgery. So there's one in a massive event in New Zealand um, in Topo. Mm-hmm. It's the central North Island. And um I'd done a few cycle races down around there before and decided to aim for the half Ironman. So I think it was about eight weeks before the race that I was allowed to start running again. Oh, um, <laughs> and it's a half marathon yeah. run distance like in the half Ironman. So um, I was upping the distances yeah. fairly quick, quickly, but um, I'd done a lot of base work in the gym yeah. and all that and the bike and stuff helps as well. So yeah so that was kind of a a good goal to get me going and then after that I was like right well I've got this kind of base fitness now so I might as well crack on and do more of the sprints and stuff and I think I did at one point I did about three races in four weeks or something so it was was really cranking up and then when did you realize then that there was a possibility that you could qualify to represent New Zealand yeah it wasn't anything I kind of really knew anything about before because you know you'd obviously have the elites and stuff Mm -hmm. um but I didn't realize that there was kind of a you know a a lot below that um in terms of age group qualification so it was a friend of mine who was competing in other races she does uh it's called aqua bike so it's swim bike so minus yeah. the running part and i was chatting to her and she was after qualifying and um she was telling me about it so i started kind of looking into it and i was like oh maybe that could be a possibility like so looked at the criteria and all that and then um it's a qualification there's a couple of qualification races basically in new zealand um so one of them was um down near topo again um in a place called kinlock so it's on a lake and uh yeah it's it's a national championship so i did Mm -hmm. that race and qualified from there um so you have to basically put in your um kind of register your interests i suppose and then they contact you a few weeks after the race to say whether or not you've met the criteria Mm -hmm. to qualify and um i did so kind of went from there then so it was about six months prior to Lausanne mm. so um yeah things got a bit serious then I presume then like after you found out that you qualified to represent New Zealand at the World Sprint Triathlon Championships training must have cranked up an awful lot did it yeah yeah so I didn't have many rest days or any in fact because it's when you're doing the sprint distance stuff you don't mm. you know you're not having to go out for hours and hours yeah. at a time like you would be for Ironman and things so it's a bit different but it's more high intensity and mm-hmm. intervals and stuff um so I was yeah training pretty much every day and um then like the the summer season kind of for triathlon finishes around march time in new zealand so then we were heading into winter which obviously you know makes it a lot harder to keep going with the training but um i started swim squads so i was swimming three mornings a week um Mm. before work and you like you do two and a half or three kilometers in the pool each session and um and then i was uh got a coach for the last couple of months before the race as well so i had like an individualized training plan that mm-hmm. I was following so I was training every day at least once some days twice um yeah so. so it was busy enough like I'm sure a bit of full-time work thrown in there as well, it's going so. to it, we work over it's you work in um in Auckland Hospital is it yeah, yeah so I've, I was working um actually between Auckland Hospital and uh, the Artificial Limb Centre so yeah. I work um, in amputee rehab as well mm-hmm. um I'm actually going working full-time on that when I head back but um yeah so I was between the two um so it's yeah busy enough when you're trying to fit all that in as well like but. so then like like kind of training cranked up kind of full-time work and you're you're doing the, the, those three disciplines the, the the swimming the running and the cycling mm. which is your favorite and which is your least favorite of the three 
Well, starting out running was definitely my least favourite. <laughs> um, like, you know, I would have played a lot of football and basketball growing up and stuff, but I was never a fan of running any long distances. I was always more of a sprinter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I kind of just had to embrace it and find a bit of love for it. But uh, I don't know, it, to be honest, it kind of switches. So most people tend to get into triathlon because they have a strong background in one of the sports, mm-hmm. but that wasn't really the case for me. I'd kind of done a bit of everything, but yeah. I'd never done any of them competitively. So... Um, it was I was kind of average at all of them I'd say but it's fluctuated <laughs> like swimming is the hardest one to kind of make any great gains in yeah. so like you'd be swimming three times a week but you might see like a couple of seconds of an improvement in yeah. a race um, and the cycling then alright they would kind of say that that's the one where you can make the most ground mm-hmm. because it's the longest section of the race too so um, but I actually started to like the running quite a bit more so yeah <laughs> I don't know I couldn't really choose yeah. between them to be honest and how much do tactics play a part in, in, in like a sprint triathlon would you like you said there you can make more gains in the cycling so would you be kind of leaning towards the cycling a bit more to try and get a bit faster or, or does it work like that or yeah I mean I suppose the training is kind of fairly balanced between them all so like when I had the training plan for the last few months and had the coach and stuff like I was probably doing so I was doing three swimming sessions a week I was doing three bike sessions mm-hmm. a week and probably three running sessions yeah. and then I was doing one or two gym sessions as well so yeah and you mentioned earlier the kind of transition how important is the transition between the sports kind of can you gain time there as well or can you lose oh, time or yeah massively yeah um I mean people definitely win and lose races on transition like so um in actually in in Lausanne it was quite a quite a challenge because the area was huge that you had to run through yeah um so much longer than you'd normally have because it was just such a massive event so mm um but yeah like you do practice the transitions as well so mm-hmm. it's kind of like your fourth discipline in in the try really yeah. um so you'd practice like getting out of your wetsuit and mm-hmm. um getting onto your bike and you have to do it in a certain sequence as well um so like your bike is racked in transition but you're not allowed to touch it until you've got your helmet on oh. and stuff like that so you need to you get penalized if you do so yeah. you have to make sure you kind of do it in the right order and it's it, obviously if you you know do it in the same order all the time as well you get quicker at it yeah. so um and then yeah coming off the bike into the run then as well like you need to rack the bike first before you can take your helmet off and you know changing shoes and all that then as well and um there's loads of different ways that you can try and gain some time yeah. and um the more serious people like will have they'll have their bike shoes already clipped into their bike and they'll have them ho- held with elastics onto the bike and then they yeah jump on with their feet just on top of the shoes and try and get their feet in as they're on the move and all that so, I'm not quite uh, <laughs> at that stage but uh, it's all those marginal gains just to gain those extra exactly, seconds those extra it? few seconds yeah and when you know the people at the top level seconds mean everything yeah. like it's a little bit different at my mm. level like but um, it still does make a difference and it's something you do need to kind of put a bit of thought into as well so everything then moved to Lausanne for the world uh, championships there at the it was at the end of August wasn't it um, yeah. in your category you finished 48 overall but first what was it like representing New Zealand? Is that almost surreal to be kind of representing your adopted country as such? What was that like, kind of even putting yeah. on the, the singlet and so on? Yeah, I mean, it was um, a bit strange, but it was pretty cool in fairness. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, um, yeah, I mean, I've been there six years now and I'm a resident and things, so it does kind of feel, you know, it feels like home. Yeah. And um, it was like you see so many great athletes out in New Zealand and things, and it was kind of cool to just get a bit of a taste of that and be, mm-hmm. you know, some part of it. Um, so it was like you get your tri suit and, and your all your gear sort of a few weeks before um, we headed off to Switzerland. So it's pretty cool. It was there was a lot of excitement <laughs> when it arrived in the post, and you know we had a, a face group 
Facebook group for the team and stuff yeah. and everyone was like s- posting their photos of Brilliant. them and their kit and yeah. all that so it was um, yeah it was pretty cool the whole experience so over, over in Switzerland what was that like and obviously the biggest event you've ever competed in did it, did it blow your mind was it just on a different scale altogether or? yeah I mean the half Ironman was a big event alright mm-hmm. down in um, Topo but it was not on the same scale like um, so it, this was definitely the, the biggest event I'd been in and it was over three days as well there were different races on mm-hmm. so I think there were over 4,000 athletes wow. um, competing across the three days so um, a huge huge event altogether and it was a stunning stunning location and mm-hmm. everything um, but I yeah I arrived in Geneva um, a week before the race and my parents came over as well so we had a few days there before we headed to, to Lausanne but uh, I actually had my bike with me in it like in a box mm. and uh, opened up the box and realized there were no wheels in oh. there so oh. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah I had uh, taken it to a bike shop to get them to pack it for me because I'd never traveled internationally yeah. with my bike so I'd never had to pack it down in a box or anything so um yeah the wheels got left out the wheels were left so back in Auckland, back in Auckland yeah. Oh, yeah so uh there's a bit of panic then trying to figure out how I was gonna resolve <laughs> that one so um we got sorted eventually but it was literally the day I had to rack the bike before the race was by oh. like that was the, the time it was about two hours bef- before the cutoff like that I actually managed Jesus. to get everything sorted so that kind of took things over for the lead yeah. up to be honest yeah. um, your attention was elsewhere just trying to get two yeah, wheels for the bike exactly yeah, yeah. Um, and at one point then I had wheels but I had no brakes so I was like well I'm, I can move but I can't stop so I don't know which is worse um, but yeah so I had a few days in Geneva and then got to Lausanne and was you know did a few practice swims in the mm. lake and um, went for a few runs and just kind of tap like tapping away at it or tipping away mm. at it I suppose because um, you kind of taper for that race week yeah. um, you wouldn't be doing anything too tough like um, but it's just trying to get used to the heat and things mm-hmm. then as well because um, it was yeah well, I'd come from the winter in New Zealand which it's not quite winter here like yeah. <laughs> in terms of the cold but uh, it's still a probably a 10 or 15 degree jump um in temperatures mm-hmm. like so the, the race itself then how did it unfold were you, were you happy with how it, how it went or yeah um it was um the swim so th- basically there's a kind of rules around the water temperature and stuff so um the lake it was lake geneva or mm-hmm. lac leman that we were swimming in and um if the water temperature is above 22 degrees in these races you're not allowed to wear a wetsuit okay. um, and that was the case for us so mm. it was 22 point something but you don't find that out until the morning right. but like we we could see during the week that the temperatures were kind of sitting around the 22 so we knew it was going to be a, a close call um, and that makes quite a difference then to your swimming so I'm not, obviously everyone's in the same boat nobody's allowed to wear the wetsuit but yeah. um it slows you down quite a bit so mm-hmm. they reckon it's about 10 seconds per 100 meter difference like oh, really yeah wearing the wetsuit so um the swim then was slower than i was expecting yeah. because of that but everyone was the same like yeah. um yeah so the swim i was happy enough with i suppose um and then the transition <laughs> so we had out of the swim exit like you had to run basically it was into this massive car park that was where the transition area was where all the bikes were racked and there were literally thousands of bikes inside there so um you had to run a specific path to get to yours and then so that nobody had an advantage or a disadvantage Mm -hmm. um so from the swim exit out to the um, bike exit was a 600 meter run which doesn't sound like a huge amount but when it's in the midst of all the other stuff it adds quite a lot of time so um 
where you'd normally be trying to get in and out of transition in about a minute it was mm. about three minutes like yeah. so um but then we didn't have a wetsuit to battle with and I have to strip that off so that kind of made it a bit easier um yeah so then headed out on the bike course and it's um it was a 10k uh course so we did two laps of that and they kind of ease you in with about a kilometer at the start that's flat and then you're straight into a 10% uphill oh god um so it was tough <laughs> yeah. enough going the legs were only just kind of warming up after getting out of the water so um that was tough enough on the first one but I'd done a practice lap and stuff mm-hmm. in a few days before and kind of knew what to expect like um and our race actually so it depends um on the event but ours was what they call draft legal mm-hmm. so it meant that we were allowed on the bike to actually get right behind somebody okay. so like in theory drafting off them but yeah. to be honest with the way the course was laid out for a lot of it it was kind of hard to do that because mm-hmm. of all the hills you yeah. can't really gain a huge amount um but on the bits of flat and stuff that we had all right you could try and jump in behind mm-hmm. people and um the idea is that it's easier and that you can kind of make a bit more gains yeah um but i didn't quite manage to get on a group like i was hoping so mm-hmm. um so yeah did a couple of laps on the bike and then um we had some like fun downhills as well we had one hill that was a 12 percent gradient oh coming down yeah. and it was straight into a like a 90 degree right hand turn mm-hmm. so they had uh crash mats at the bottom of the hill just and in there case were, there were a few yeah. apparently and um, made use of the crash mats um so yeah my family and um supporters and stuff were kind of based around that point and because it's where we pass the most times i yeah. suppose um near the transition area so they were cheering away every time I passed um and then yeah back into transition back for another five or six hundred yeah. meters yeah. run around there and then back out onto the run and uh yeah started off the run and um I could feel my legs were were tight like I thought I was going to cramp mm-hmm. um very quickly so I didn't really want to push it at the start of the run because I thought I might end up having to walk the rest of the race yeah. if, that was, <laughs> if it did cramp up so um yeah I kind of wasn't really running at the pace I'd been training at and hoping to do but mm-hmm. um and yeah the heat just got to me then it was a, a slower run than I'd been hoping for and like the swim and the bike were kind of what I'd expected transition mm-hmm. air transition was longer than I thought but that kind of like everyone was doing the same for that again yeah. But yeah, it was the the run was definitely the tough um, the tough bit, and they threw in a nice couple of hills in it as well that felt like mountains <laughs> doing it. But the course is on like it's beautiful, mm-hmm. and we were running down by the lake, and you know you've got the Alps in the background, oh, and yeah. um, the run took us right up by the Olympic Museum as well in in Lausanne. I mean, I didn't really want to see it, to be honest, because it was up a big hill, but um, it was pretty cool and like fairly surreal when you kind of actually take a second to look at your surroundings and try and take it all in. Um, and yeah, there was support the whole way along and um, it was, you know, I was going around the course and there were people shouting, go Kiwi at me, because that's like their, yeah. the standard for anyone like New Zealand. That's what um, that's what they shout out to each other. So um, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's an incredible experience. So I'm... Um, what's next for you now like like you do you really have the book now do you want to kind of build on this have you another target in mind Sinead or yeah I'm I'm not really sure at this stage I suppose um I'm hoping to do the Crosshaven Triathlon next weekend but I've actually missed the uh, apparently it's sold out so oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a wait list so yeah. I'll see if I get to do that I said while I'm home and I have all my gear mm. with me I might as well um see if I can fit another one in but um yeah after that then um like i'll be back to new zealand in a couple of months and heading into the kind of the summer try season over Mm -hmm. there so i'll do like all those events again so i'll probably do five or six of them over a few months and um but yeah in terms of kind of the next big event i'm not really sure like so the world's next year on in canada but Mm -hmm. um i'm not i don't know if i can kind of um 
really afford to do it again to be honest yeah. um, so the like with the age group um, athlete stuff it's all self-funded so oh, right. um, yeah it's yeah all out of your own pocket like mm. all the gear all the um, the travel costs the accommodation the training costs it's all um, all paid for by yourself so I'm not sure I'll have the, the mm. budget for that again next year but maybe the year after they haven't announced where it's on yet so, so wait and see yeah. one of the big plus points too with this is you've built in a holiday here to the home in Skibbereen for a couple of weeks and then you're when you're travelling back to New Zealand you're stopping off at the World Rugby the Rugby World Cup in Tokyo so yeah. so it, it's nice first to be home in Skibbereen for a bit because like you went to school in, in, in Mercy Heights here wasn't yeah. it and you played basketball and, and football here so to, even to be home for a couple of weeks is, is, must be nice oh yeah it's always nice to, to get a visit home and it's kind of um, like I've been away in New Zealand for six years but um, it kind of varies with how often I get home sometimes I've had mm. like 18 months or two years between visits so yeah. Um, it's always nice to get back and see the family and catch up with friends and all that so um, yeah I have another and the weather's actually not been too bad either yeah. which, <laughs> which is a pleasant surprise yeah. Um, so yeah I was talking to mom there yesterday about maybe going down for a swim in Loch Eye and, and all that as well while I'm back and I'll be putting on the wetsuit though she she braves it in the togs <laughs> like <laughs> Brilliant. No, fantastic. Come here, Sinead. Thank you so, so much for popping in to have a chat with us. Congratulations again on like, competing at the, the World Sprint Triathlon Championships. It's not everyone who has that in their sporting CV. And um, best of luck in your adventures in Auckland and safe travel. Thanks very much, again. Thank you for listening to the Star Sports Podcast. Don't forget to pick up this week's Southern Star featuring our award-winning sports section that has everything a sports fan in West Cork could want. Available every Thursday in shops across West Cork and online from anywhere in the world. The Southern Star, number one for sport in West Cork. Welcome back to the Star Sport Podcast and we're delighted to be joined in the studio by Southern Star editor Con Downing for our first rugby chat of the season. Con, the Rugby World Cup is kicking off this Friday and all Irish eyes will be focused on Sunday morning. Ireland, Scotland, 8.45, so, so it's an early start. Um, your thoughts on that game and how important it is for Ireland to get off to a good start? Well, it's a hugely important um, game for Ireland and for Scotland because uh, whoever wins that group uh, will be playing um, either South Africa or um, the All Blacks mm-hmm. and uh, Ireland and Scotland would be the, the, the two favourites in the group, um, which also includes Japan and uh, Russia and Samoa, mm. so you know it's um, important that they win that. But um, I heard that there might be a, a glitch in that because there's um, heavy rain forecast for uh, the match day on Sunday, and if they have to abandon the match, it seems the rules of the World Cup are that the uh, it'll be declared a draw. Okay. So no, that in itself wouldn't be a bad result for Ireland to be better than losing to Scotland. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I think they have the capability to beat Scotland. Uh, all right, after their victories over Wales in the last two warm-up games. So, I don't know, um, it would be better to go out and get a, a good win under the belt for confidence anyway if um, the game goes ahead as scheduled. What sort of former Ireland in coming into the World Cup? I know there was that hockey and we suffered against England and Twickenham, but then bounced back with the two wins against Wales. So, where exactly do we stand going into this World Cup? And Thinking back to the Six Nations, which didn't go too well first with with losses to both Wales and England as well, are we are we genuine contenders, Con, or are we or 
Um, I suppose a good result really would be to uh, make the semi-finals, which we haven't done before, and anything after that then would be a bonus. But uh, making the semi-finals will be um, difficult enough, mm-hmm. uh, given what we'll be facing after the group stages, assuming we get out of the group stages. And um, I, I don't know, it's um, it's a difficult um, one to, to, to call. You know, the, the form has improved, and it's it's improving bit mm-hmm. by bit. Um, since that uh, trashing by the English, and that was the second one of the calendar year yeah. as well, you know, and it was it was worse than than than, than the Six Nations one. But uh, but I, I think they've turned a corner now. Whether their um, uh, trajectory is uh, towards uh, the form they previously had is is going to happen fast enough mm-hmm. or not? I don't know. Um, I, I I'd have my doubts. But look, I mean, uh, Schmidt is a very calculating sort of an individual in terms of coaching and he'll always as he has done before when Ireland were doing very well take it just one game at a time Mm -hmm. and not think ahead to the next game so I think um, if they focus game by game make some improvements with every game I think um, they'll be there or thereabouts. Can I put it to you that Japan could actually be the ones to cause an upset in this World Cup. Go back to the last World Cup. I think they beat South Africa, didn't they? That's in, correct. In the group yeah. stage, and they are the home nation too. And yeah, and I, I know they're the Japanese national team, but they've pulled in players from from all over, so they could be tricky customers. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and you know, like we're all looking at the Scotland game mm-hmm. um, as the big one in the group, which it is. Uh, uh, let's be fair, but the, uh, Japan could be the big banana skin. Mm-hmm. Um. Looking so at the, at 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 Ireland team for a second, I know there's a couple of injury worries for the game against Scotland on Sunday. But who are the big players that we need big performances out of over the next couple of weeks if we want to, like you said, hopefully get to semi final? Well, I suppose our two halfbacks are the most pivotal uh, pivotal players on the team. Uh, you know, and Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray, and really they will need to step up to the mark forwards, obviously too. Mm-hmm. But I think we have plenty of talent in the forwards um, to hold their own with any team in the world. It, I think it's really down to um, to the game management by Murray and Sexton and opening up the game for our backs because we have very talented backs um, and we don't always bring them into the game like we should. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put you on the spot now, Con. Two predictions. Who's going to win the Rugby World Cup and how far are Ireland going to go? Um, I think Ireland will go to the semi-final. There. Oh. I think they'll get that far just about. Um very difficult, like the All Blacks are perennial favourites for the World Cup. England are going to be very strong, and I think South Africa could be a dark horse mm-hmm. um, because they're really after coming on under Razzie Erasmus yeah. and um, notwithstanding the doping scandals and so on down there. But, you know, they, they're after, they're totally different to the way they were two mm-hmm. years ago. And I think they have come up uh, in the ratings. We've gone down a bit since. So, yeah. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. While we have you here, Con, quick chat about Munster. Munster beat London Irish in a kind of, I suppose, a pre-season friendly or, or a challenge game um, yeah. last last Friday night at up uh, Irish Independent Park. You were up there. I was, and it was a great occasion, I suppose, to be a West Cork person. I saw loads of West Cork people up there because the starting Munster team had one third of the team from West Cork. Uh, five of the 15, we had uh, the cousins... Um, Gavin and Liam Coombs. Liam scored a try mm-hmm. uh, in the game as well. And uh, we also had, of course, uh, Darren Sweetham from Dunmanway. And we had Finneen Witcherly. And making his debut as well uh, for the senior team was John Hodnett for Ross 
Carberry who had a fantastic uh, under 26 Nations mm-hmm. campaign so it was really good uh, to see five West Cork fellas and they all acquitted themselves well that's probably unprecedented I know before last year there was four at one point playing in a in a pre-season game but to have five you know like, yeah. in, like you said John Hodnett there as well this, this, uh, this season from Ross Carberry it really again highlights the strength of rugby here in West Cork Absolutely, yeah. it's 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 going up and up. You know, we thought we were doing well when we had three, then four, now five. You know, it's 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 uh, it's really after um, coming on and bringing rugby um, into the limelight more in West Cork as well. Is the hope that they'll get some minutes down in the games coming up with the Rugby World Cup on, and obviously Munster's kind of international men are are away in in Japan at the moment. So could we see a couple of the, the local? Oh, absolutely, yeah, certainly, certainly, um, Finine, uh, Witchery. And uh, I, I'd say uh, Darren Sweetnam and um, um, Gavin Coombs will certainly be there uh, or, um, on some of the Pro 12 games. And the others will probably be, if they're not starting, they'll probably be on yeah. the bench. Is it a big season for Darren Sweetnam? It is, yes, really. Yeah, uh, yeah he's been around a long time. Mm-hmm. The, the, like he's showing great promise at, at Pro 12 level. Mm-hmm. and But like he has huge competition in yeah. the team, you know. Mm-hmm. So Not great stuff. Good times for West Cork rugby on the Munster scene and hopefully Ireland will get off to a winning start against Scotland this Sunday morning in the Rugby World Cup. So thanks for listening to this week's Star Sport podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. So if you enjoy these shows, please make sure to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher, wherever else you listen to the show.